Well, as I mentioned two weeks ago, uh, I and six, about 60 other pastors were blessed to participate in a lead pastor's retreat uh, down in Georgia with our partner church, North Point Community Church in Atlanta. And as a side note, when I say that I went to a pastor's retreat, uh, I, I, th- I thought, I can't help but imagine what you envision in your mind when you hear the term pastor's retreat, like a bunch of Jesus nerds walking around in the hallways with big fat Bibles and khaki pants and uh, white New Balance shoes, uh, talking about Greek and Hebrew words while singing old-timey Gaithery songs. I don't know. It, like, it, to you, it sounds horrible, uh, for, but the, for those of you men over 40, you're going, what's wrong with white New Balance shoes? Uh, uh, but here's the thing. I can assure you it was slightly different than that. I was surrounded by some amazing leaders, and the main goal of the experience, this once-a-year event, was quite simple, just to refill and refresh us so that we can be better for those that we love and lead. And the first two and a half days involved uh, connecting with fellow lead pastors, uh, meals together, a handful of TED-type leadership talks uh, by prominent church and marketplace leaders, uh, topic-specific breakouts. They even had licensed professional counselors available for anything that we might need or want to process with them. Uh, This year especially was tailored to help us just deal with the stress of recent months of questioning and doubting every single personal and family life and leadership decision, much like many of you, as we try to live and lead the local church well in a year filled with uncertainty and unrest and few, if any, black and white decisions. The second half of the trip, four of us traveled to Gainesville, Georgia to stay three days in a beautiful lake house uh, by one of, the, uh, one of the church members. They own this house. And our first, uh, first morning there, this guy shows up on the back of the boat. His name is Jamie Eichler. He is one of the top wake surfers in the world. In fact, this actually is his daughter, and she is the youngest competitive wake surfer in the world at the age of five. And so it was his job to teach us grown men how to wake surf, grown men who now know that from the outset, a five-year-old girl can do it. So no pressure. Now, I've skied since I was about eight, but none of us have ever wake surfed. Uh, Now, the rope Now, the rope when it comes to skiing or wakeboarding, and by the way, I am going somewhere with this. This all matters. Uh, The rope is only to get you up, but then once you're up, you pitch the rope, and you literally surf the wave. So notice, no rope. So you're surfing it. Now, in my younger years, I would have just jumped at the opportunity to go first so I could show off these old guys and the young guy. This ain't that hard. I got this. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I'm, I was that guy, and my wife married me. Anyway, uh, I'd been that guy. I'd been humbled enough times in my life. I decided, you know, I'm going to let the other guys go first, and it will give me a chance, the opportunity to watch and listen and learn. And uh, tried to delay how badly I was going to embarrass myself. Because honestly, I had serious doubts whether or not that I was going to be able to do it, uh, even with a pro instructing me. So the other guys went first, and, and how it worked was we had an experienced driver driving the boat, and our stru- instructors, you can see the guy with the hat backwards, he would actually sit on the back of the boat, and you're going slow enough, you can hear each other. And so he's talking to you, he's helping guide the pressure on the rope, he would sit there facing us when we were on the water, And again, this way he could talk to us, he could communicate with us, and for the next couple of hours, there were a lot of attempts and ups and downs and mixed levels of success with the first two guys, and then it was my turn. And as it turns out, 
Because of my decision to watch, listen, and learn, it paid off. And to my surprise, I actually got up on my second try. In fact, I was so confident that after about 20 seconds, I tossed the rope. Like, I don't need no stinking rope. And, of course, I went down. But before I did, I saw the instructor laughing at me. They got back. They were all laughing because the instructor said in all of his years of instructing, never had he seen anybody try to toss the rope that fast. So he'll remember me. So he tosses the rope back, and, and then he said something that ended up the key to the, everything else. He said, okay, when you get up, I want you to get into position. And then I want you to focus on my face. And I want you to follow my instructions. And if you do that, you'll nail it. So I give the thumbs up. The boat pulls me back up. I get into position. And I focused on my instructor's face so I could see and hear him clearly. And then he began to coach me on the little things as far as how my feet were positioned, the direction my toes were pointing. And uh, when I got that all right, he said, now I want you to focus on my face I want you to lean towards me, and I want, to reach, want you to reach out your hand like you're trying to hand me something. And this made all the difference. In that moment, all of a sudden, I had full control. I stayed in perfect pace with the wave, and then and as this happened, the rope slackened, and then it drooped, and then he said to me, now I want you to stay focused on me, I want you to keep reaching out towards me, and I want you to drop the rope. And this was the result. And as you can see, no grace, no finesse, no cutting, no show-off. I mean, there was just nothing beautiful at all about it. It was not pretty. I didn't have style or skill of my instructor, but I did it, and it was so fun. I'm about to show you right now how much fun that I'm having. Yeah, there it is. So, uh, so there you are. So uh, I'm actually riding the wave, and what made all the difference was focus on my instructor's face, listen to him, Lean towards him and reach out to him because where you look and where you lean determines where you go. And it determines whether you ride the wave or the wave rides you. Now some of you, because you know this is a spiritual environment, you already got a sense of kind of where I'm going. We could just pray and go home, but we work too hard to get to this day. You're not getting out that easy. But here's the thing. If, if you lose focus, if you lose focus and you, or you lean too much in one direction or another, uh, forward or back, left or right, then you'll drift out of the sweet spot and the momentum that's provided by the wave and you just go down. Now again, I'm going somewhere with this. I think it's safe to say that we're living, at least for us, in unprecedented times. For us individually, as families, as a church, as a nation, as a world, and, and for right now, for many of you, and certainly for people you know, you're, they're, you're just trying to keep your head above water. Just normal stuff, just normal life and trying to have good relationships or have a healthy financial world, uh, have, have uh, all this thing, all, everything is just compromised and confused and made chaotic by all the ways that we've had to adapt and respond to this virus, all of it affecting every aspect of our lives directly or indirectly. Uh, with many of the decisions that are being made, they're inconsistent, and there are decisions made for us that are out of our control, and there's mixed messages coming from every direction, and we're, on the one hand, we're trying to not live in fear, and at the same time, not risk harming anyone, and mix that all in with the incredible darkness and the ugliness of an incredibly divisive political year and social unrest, feeling like we're on the verge of an economic meltdown, 
all of this just being amplified and polarized by a toxic social media and a 24-hour news cycle that thrives on if it bleeds, it leads. And with all of this, most of us and people that we know are feeling a chronic level of just daily stress, of daily anxiety and frustration, maybe even anger. And for some of you, you'd say, you know, I am just so done. I'm just so done. I'm done with dealing all this. And, and uh, for some of you, uh, you're feeling this low level. For some of you, it's acutely felt. And as I've been talking with so many of you and others in recent weeks, the most, rec- the most common shared chronic feeling is this word, fatigue. Screen fatigue, decision fatigue, fatigue when it comes to making decisions about my school and mask and, and how the comfort level and the safety of the people around me, all this chat, I'm just so tired. And, and for some of you, there are just moments, and maybe it's today where you just feel like you just, you're just trying to keep your head above water. And for those of us that are Jesus followers, maybe it's just me. But there's kind of this underlying question of what good is my faith doing me right now? Like in all of this, really. Like, like I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, I believe in heaven when I die, but in this moment, in my current reality, if I'm, if I'm honest, I'm not sure if it's helping. I, I'm still frustrated, I'm still annoyed, I'm still anxious, I'm still concerned about my future and concerned about the future, and, and my future still seems uncertain. And the direction things are going, my life, my country, my world, sometimes it just feels like it's a dumpster fire. So complex and, and overwhelming, and I just don't see how it's going to actually get any better. I'm, I'm, I'm more tired, I'm more unsure than ever, so what's the point? See, aren't you glad you came for this uplifting and encouraging? I'm, okay, I'm going to get there, all right? But if you, if you felt that or you're feeling any piece of that, the good news is you're not alone. And as we're going to see today... You're not alone in a much bigger way than you may think. And today my hope is for those of you that that maybe you're struggling a bit, that that, you'll walk out of here, that you'll log off, and that you'll be able to feel that you've got a crucial new or maybe a renewed direction, something solid, something unchanging, a a true north for your life, something that you can put your trust in or re-put your trust in and draw encouragement from because if you're honest, you've kind of drifted. You kind of drifted out of the sweet spot. That it just feels like, you know, this, everything's pressing down on me and, and, and with everything that is going on in your life, that after today, that maybe circumstances don't necessarily change, but I actually believe for some of you that by tonight, if not tomorrow, there's going to be some things that change based on what we talk about. But for sure that you can just leave with a new perspective that changes everything. And, and for those of you that maybe for you right now, life really isn't that bad. Like you're really pretty okay. That you'll be equipped with what you need for when that ev- inevitable rogue wave of life is going to come your way. And that you could be better and more equipped as a resource for the people around you that right now they're, they're not doing so well. Now, two weeks ago, we began this series, Life Apps. We began online. Last week, I talked about the Life App of Forgiveness. And if you missed last week, I had several people tell me and message me of how significant it was in, in, something, in a specific relationship in their life, or more than one relationship. So if you missed last week, please get on newlifewichita.com and catch up on that. Uh, and if you missed that last week, uh, you do that. And in the time I have remaining, I'm going to talk about the Life App, Life App of Focus. The life app of focus. Now, 
uh, most of us, especially in 2020 with all of our screens and our technology and the pace of life, we struggle with focus. Yet what and who we focus on impacts everything. It impacts everything. And so this life app makes all the difference in every other area of life. And not just for you as individuals, but for us as a church. Because we, we started this church three and a half years ago because we desperately want to make a difference. And for us to experience all that God wants for us individually and collectively. Now we find this app in the book of Hebrews. And unlike most of the books of the New Testament, we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's actually a long sermon written primarily to a Christian community whose faith was faltering because of the incredibly difficult things that they were facing. Sound relevant? In chapter 11, the author, he recaps and he reminds his readers of this amazing pedigree of God followers that came before his readers, who came before us. God God followers who remained faithful, and God remained faithful to them through the most incredible of difficult circumstances. He gives the reader a rapid-fire list of over 20 individuals, men and women of faith, naming them directly or referring to the situations that they face. And uh, he refers to them, and the author is building momentum, and he's listing God-follower after God-follower and what they did and what they experienced. And it's as if he gets so overwhelmed by the experience that he just exclaims the world was not worthy of them. And in every example, if you had dropped into moments and seasons of their life, it would appear that if there was a God, they were God-forsaken. That God was not active. That God was not active. He was, that they were fools for believing in a good God that had any relevance to their life or to their world. Which is why the author begins with this. He says, now faith. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. In other words, what resulted in these men being recorded in the Faith Hall of Fame and what led to them ending life nobly and letting them leave an impact on the world was their unrelenting focus on something or someone that was ahead of them. So with all that as context, and you really should go home and you should read all of chapter 11 of Hebrews for you. It's amazing. The author says, therefore, in in chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this amazing pedigree and uh, spiritual family tree of men and women that came before us, that were given every reason to lose hope, to lose faith and lose their faith and assume that God had forsaken them, but they didn't. In light of that, in light of them, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, let me pause for a second. For, for many of us, some of the drift and the fatigue and the anxiety that we are feeling in our life, uh, the stress, the relational distance that maybe we're feeling with God or maybe other important people in our life is self-inflicted. And and I'm not being judgmental. I'm just saying that this amazing statement written 2,000 years ago is spot on. Because for many of us, there are some some things, some behaviors, some habits, some, some time eaters in our life that aren't necessarily bad. But here and there, little by little, they just consume our time as well as our mental and our physical and our spiritual energy. And we need to cut them loose. 
We need to cut them out of our lives because let's just be honest, there is only so much of you to go around, right? And especially for those of you that have been locked indoors with certain people, like they all want a piece of you, right? So there's only so much of you to go around. You only have a certain capacity based on your temperament, based on your personality, based on your physical health, based on all these things. And it can be like death by a thousand cuts because the quantity of all the little things and the big things, the reason some of us don't feel we have the time or the energy for God or the activities or the people that matter most is because we're giving too much of our limited time to do less important things innocuous things or habits that we have no business doing. And, and as a result, you lack the physical and the mental and the spiritual and emotional energy or maybe even the financial margin in your life. And one of the best, most spiritual, most healthy things that you could do today or this week is just to look at your life and where your time is going, where your energy is going, and decide, you know what, I'm going to take some of these things out. I'm going to let them go to throw off everything, big and small, that's actually hindering us. Maybe it's something in your schedule. Maybe it's some one hobby too many. Maybe it's one commitment too many. Maybe in the midst of all the uncertainty about, will I have a job after the holidays? It's like I'm saying yes to every hour that I can possibly work. But at the same time, you've not shaved off anything else, and it's beginning to crush you. Maybe it's time to show, throw off social media. Because you can just so easily get entangled and sucked in. And suddenly you've scrolled and 30 minutes, an hour has gone by. And, and, and let's be real. After scrolling for any length of time on social media, do you feel better or do you feel worse? We feel worse. We're doing it to ourselves. Nobody's holding it in front of you, scrolling it. So we're doing it to ourselves. For some of you, it's stealing your joy. And maybe it's adding to the uncertainty and the anxiety that you are feeling, the pressure and the fatigue, right? And I don't know what it is for you. For my wife and I, it was a few months ago, we finally got rid of cable. We got the 24-hour news cycle out of our house. And we've done other things to just begin to get some things out because we realize it's just so easy to flip it on, turn it on, and half an hour goes by, an hour goes by, and you turn it off like, I hate my life. The world's a dumpster fire. Just come, Jesus. So the writer says, let's throw off everything that hinders and let it go. And for some of you, there's some things today to borrow. Maybe they're not big things. You, just, you need to let it go. The writer says, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, please don't miss next week. Because next week, in our life app, we're going to discover the most effective way to succeed at this. To actually throw off the sin that so easily entangles what he's talking about. Okay, so don't miss next week, but to give it the needed airtime today, the writer, he's inviting us to learn from the amazing men and women that came before us, the true change makers of history, and to stop making excuses to choose my will over God's and to stop being my own worst enemy. And most of us know something about being our own worst enemy, right? In fact, if you're like me, when I look back at the missed opportunities that I had to make a difference and the majority of the pain and complications that I faced in my life, they all connect to one of these two things. Either I had let myself become so overloaded and as a result it compromised my judgment and my decision making and I made bad decisions 
Or, bottom line is, I knew what God wanted, and I knew what I wanted. And I decided to choose what I want. And it never ended well. And the most painful part is, every time that happened, I never hurt just me. I hurt others. So, because God loves us, and wants the best for us, the writer says, hey, if you decide there's a God... If you decide there's a God's will and my will, my will be done, that approach to life is going to entangle you. You can't help it. It will harm you. Your life will be more complicated, not less. You will be more stressed, not less. And the people around you, people that you care about, they will inevitably suffer as well. You simply will not be able to run or possibly even end your race well. And all the good that God wants to do in and through you, it will be stifled and it will be suffocated. And your Heavenly Father who loves you says, hey, it's time to throw some things off. It's time for you to release some things that you're holding on to, things that are hindering you. And for some of you, there are some things in your life that are just flat out contrary to my will for you. And it's just not going to end well. Things that you know, that you find excuses for, that you find loopholes for, you find workarounds, but until you're ready to break free, until you're ready to say, God, your will, not mine, you're going to be stuck. And life and relationships are going to get more complicated, not less. And then the author gets to the key. And as weird as it may sound, this verse is what came to my mind when you saw me in that video. I'm getting up on a wakeboard, I've got a wave, now what do I do, how do I get the right pace moving in the right direction, and the writer tells us, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And again, of all the things that you would think a normal person would be thinking about, this is what I thought about. This verse came to my mind as I was joyfully fixing my eyes on Jamie, my instructor and trainer, the perfecter of wake surfing, and I was fixing my eyes on him, leaning towards him, reaching out to him, and it made all the difference. In fact, part of the joy that you see on my face in the video isn't just because the old man is staying upright and I'm showing off. I had this unexpected personal God moment where God did what he often does with me and just takes the most innocuous situations or things I hear or something I'm experiencing and he either teaches me something about him and his character or he reminds me of something about him and his character. And that's what God was doing. He was using the simplest thing to teach and remind me. It's just so simple. And it came at the perfect time because like most of, most of you, I was tired. I was trying to get a break. I needed to refresh. And there have been many moments over the past months where I just thought, God, I'm just so tired. I'm just tired. Where are you? How do I navigate all of this uncertainty, all the decisions that need to be made? And how do I help these people that I care about, that they're trying to do the exact same thing? I, and all these decisions about me and my family. And, and maybe you felt that way before spring of this year, before COVID swooped in. And the good news is the author of Hebrews, he is writing to men and women and young people just like you and me. People whose faith was faltering. Wondering if they had made a mistake in trusting God and in trusting Jesus because incredibly difficult things were being faced. And he says, hey, hey, listen, here's what you do to begin to untangle yourself from unworthy distraction. Uh, bring to an end choosing your will over God's. 
Because God and God's way can be trusted. And then here's the key. You've got to focus. You need a focal point. You've got to keep your eyes up and locked on Jesus who led and is leading the way to keep him front and center in your sights who for the joy set before him endured. What's the last word? Endured. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I don't like that. Not at all. In fact, most of us, we, we tend to think the whole point of me having faith in a God who loves me right is that I don't want to have to endure anything because that sounds negative. That sounds unpleasant. That sounds hard. Now, if God loves me, if I'm doing what he wants me to do, if I'm being a faithful follower of Jesus, then I shouldn't have to endure anything, right? It should be joy. It should be fun. It should be happy. It should be sunshine and homemade carrot cake all the time and my favorite things. And, and God, you really need to work on your sales pitch. And more often than not, especially at New Life, we follow, we, we, we talk about God and focus on God's love, God's grace, God's generosity, His, His kindness and patience. All of our partner churches, we all say the same thing, that following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. And all of this is true. But what is also true is that there are times that to get the better and ultimately best means faithfully following Jesus through the worst. Maybe for a day, maybe for a week, maybe for a month, maybe for a long season, it will require enduring. It will be difficult. In fact, when you revisit the previous chapter that tees up chapter 12, you discover that, yes, some conquered fire and lions and nations. They were the victors. I present to you the victor of the Hunger Games. However, others lost everything. They were destitute. They were killed by the sword. They lived in caves or they were sawn in two. And Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Because to get to the best first meant going through the worst. And to die on the cross was the worst. It was shameful. It was a sign to the rest of the world how they interpreted this person truly is God forsaken. And when Jesus was crucified, his closest followers and friends, they all lost faith. After the crucifixion, there were no Christians, no church, no movement. We were wrong about him. God was not with him. God is not with us. And they were feeling overwhelmed, and they were feeling exhausted and filled with anxiety. And like for us, when that, that happens, when we're facing that in our lives, it can feel like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was wrong about God. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure God really is for me or is with me or has my future in his hands. But Jesus, Jesus was the one that all those that came before were pointing and looking forward to. And he becomes the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And the pioneer and the perfecter because he was the first to live from beginning to end in perfect trust and obedience to God. Unlike any before or after. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and by trusting and following God through the absolute worst, on the other side, he sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, who endured such horrific and horrible circumstances, yet stayed on course, stayed faithful, stayed focused on and maintained his trust in God. Fix your eyes 
on him so that you'll not grow weary and you won't lose heart. See, if you've never read the Bible or it's been a long time, Hebrews 11 and 12 would be a great place to start because the beauty of this section of Scripture is that it removes all the clutter and all the noise and it focuses and centers us. It gives us this immovable true north, which especially now we need. Because under normal circumstances, we can get so off balance and so distracted and overwhelmed and tired. And when that happens, our judgment can get confused and compromised. And when that happens, we make bad decisions. When we're mentally and physically and spiritually tired, that's when we make the worst decisions. So the author reminds us, hey, you're part of an amazing heritage and a lineage of men and women who faced incredible uncertainty and pain. But God was with them. And Jesus, knowing all that he would face, being arrested and tortured and crucified, walked freely right into the jaws of death because he knew on the other side was something beyond compare. And then he turns to you and me and goes, okay, I went first. Odds are you're never, never going to have to face anything as terrifying and horrible. But even if you do, like me, you can trust God. You can trust me. You can do this follow me. So this is the focus app. Focusing, or to use the writer's term, fixing. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. That is that if you are a Christian, that if you are a Jesus follower, or if you want to become one, then it all comes down to this. He's the one we trust. He's the one I follow. A bold, loving, compassionate, faithful, courageous, trustworthy Jesus And to help you, I don't do this very often, I have an acronym. And it's this, it's FIX. Focus intently on Christ. Now, some of you have seen X in the place of Christ before, like Mary Xmas, and you thought they were being sacrilegious, and like, don't do that. It's actually shorthand Greek for the symbol uh, representing Christ or Jesus. So here's how you apply the FOCUS app. The first is, what you need to do is you need to leave here today, or you need to log off and you determine, what do I need to drop off? What do I need to drop that I'm hanging on to? What do I need to let go of? Maybe it's not a bad thing. It's just a thing thing. But that combined with a million other things that you give your time to, or that you've, you've got one thing. You probably got three. Maybe five. And they fall in the category of a... a It's not that they're bad, it's just too much. Or maybe they fall in the category, there's God's will and there's my will, and I know deep down, I won't admit it, I defend again, I I make excuses, but I'm choosing my will over God's. And Jesus in the great cloud of witnesses, the God followers would say, that's sin, that's off the mark of what God wants for you and has for you, you need to get rid of it. Otherwise, it will complicate and kill your life and your relationships. It will keep distance between you and God and you and the people that you love the most. They will suffer. What is it that you need to deal with once and for all? And as you're doing that, to help you to do that well, focus intently on Christ, remembering you're not in this alone. And he promised a helper, what he referred to as the Holy Spirit. This isn't just do this on your own power. That, and also that I need to, uh, 
understand that this is more than just focusing with, with my eyes, like I was, you know, behind the boat, uh, th- you know, just to go back to that. This is not just a mental exercise. Now, granted, having the right mindset absolutely makes a huge difference. I'm not alone. Somebody trustworthy has gone before me. He's the one that I follow. That, that's important. But as with my wake surf trainer, it wasn't just a mental exercise, okay? I wasn't just going to go like, watch his YouTube video and do it. No, I needed to actively, in real time, communicate with him. I needed to ask him questions. I needed him to coach me in real time so that I knew what to do. Okay, as dumb and simple as that is, when it comes to God, you need to begin daily communicating with God. It just means simply, like Jesus, as our example, as our leader, you need to be praying every day. First thing in the morning is best because you haven't fully jumped into all that the directions your day or the people in your day are going to try to pull you. So it helps you just right from the beginning. It sets the tone for the rest of your day and every interaction that you're going to have with the people around you as you invite God into your day and you align your heart with his. Another key to focusing intently is setting a schedule to regularly, I forgot to bring it up with me. Uh, to regularly be in your Bible, to be regularly in your Bible app, and read. And here's why. One of Jesus' closest friends and followers who loved him so much, John, he wrote this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, God sent Jesus to come and represent him as, the, as, as our Heavenly Father and to speak words. He was the Word. He spoke words. To, and part of that is to guide us in our life and the decisions that we make on a daily basis, how to live, and to assure us that he would provide a helper again. Uh, to assure us, he said, I'm providing a helper. I'm not just giving you data. And he refers to God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And to help you know what to throw off and what to avoid and what to embrace means you've got to be in the Word. You've got to be reading the words, which was made up of words. And all that Jesus said and taught, as well as uh, those that followed him and investigated everything that he said and did and then wrote about it, you need to, at the very least, for the rest of the year, just be in the Gospels. Just be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just put yourself at the feet of Jesus, of these amazing documents that we're so incredibly blessed to have access to, that inform us of all that Jesus taught and all, how he lived and how he treated others to guide and coach you in real time of how to live your life and how to treat others and to prepare you to face any circumstance that is going to come your way. And the last thing required is that you have at least 2 to 12 people that are doing this journey with you. Now, I did a whole message about this four weeks ago called The Trap of Autonomy. If you missed it, please get onto our website, get on newlife.witchita.com and go listen to it or listen to it again. Because here's the thing. To go back to my opening story, on this particular day that I had two weeks ago, uh, I didn't just have the trainer. I had three other guys in the boat with me. And we were having this experience together. And we cheered each other on. And when one was struggling, we encouraged them, like, no, you're not getting back in this boat until you get up. 
and that's how it was. We're not letting you give up. And we were there for that, that day, and we need that. We all need that in our day-to-day lives. We need at least two, up to 12 people that are just within, that are in our life. Jesus himself, okay, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, he surrounded himself with the core 12. And within that core 12, he had a core three. Men that he laughed with, ate with, adventured with, served God with, individuals that he shared his most intimate thoughts with, his darkest moments with, his greatest joys, his grief, his struggle, his sorrow, his fear about what he was going to have to face. See, this time next year, you're going to look back and you're going to have a story to tell of how you ended 2020 and entered into and faced all the uncertainty of 2020. Maybe mentally we just think somehow New Year's night resets everything. I'm not so sure. But you're going to have a story to tell of how you ended 2020, how you navigated it, how it impacted your relationships and the people you care most about. And I'm telling you, there's, there's this lesson, the simple lesson that I learned that I'm just trying to pass on to you because it applies to your faith and my faith and how we daily live our life. Because what made all the difference was focus on my leader's face, listen to him, lean towards him, and reach out to him. Because where you look and lean determines where you go and where you end up, and whether you ride the wave or the wave rides you. What story do you want to tell? Are you ready to focus or refocus intently on Christ? to throw off some things and to replace those things that will make all the difference. Praying, reading, connecting. I, I can't do that for you. But what I can promise you is it will make all the difference. And you will be reflecting the great cloud of witnesses that came before us. And Jesus, who says and promises, it will be all worth it. Fix your eyes on me. Let's pray. Father, I... Uh, I pray for all of us that your spirit would help us do this and accomplish this. Because most of us, in one way or another, we feel pulled and drained. And so I pray that today that you would give us clarity on the thing or the things that we need to let go of the things that we need to cut loose, the things that we need to throw off because it's hindering us. So I pray for everyone that's listening to my voice, wherever they're at in their journey, that you'll help them to identify that. And that, Father, that you will even go so far as even today just somehow give them reassurance in their heart and their mind that you're with them, that you're for them, and that they can continue to trust in you and draw strength from you. God, I pray that you honor that in very tangible, felt ways. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.